Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us, and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. We have a very special guest with us today, a dear friend, and we just had an amazing time yesterday uh, hearing about changes that heal, and uh, he really needs no introduction. Uh, We love Dr. Cloud and all that he's done for the body of Christ. Uh, is just absolutely amazing. So I want you to give the best welcome you can, church, to Dr. Henry Cloud. Come on up, Dr. Cloud. Hey, guys. So we had a, we just had a great, um, it was just such a powerful seminar yesterday. And we, we have that on video and we have uh, the resources and it's something that we're really going to get out to all of our church because, um, you know, Dr. Cloud's work, it's, it's, it's discipleship is what it is. And it's really that, you know, discipleship component component in a meta-narrative context and uh, and understanding how the mind works with behavior. What, what was that big word? You just meta-narrative. <laughs> meta-narrative. How you started out with imaging yesterday in Genesis and <laughs> reconciling all things to himself. See, I listen. I take I take notes. But so what we wanted to do today is we wanted to we wanted to pray and then of course I'm gonna I'm gonna let uh, Dr. Cloud talk. He's the doctor. And uh, you're the doctor I pretend to be only for real. And, um, and we're just gonna kind of uh, pick up some things from yesterday, but also dig deeper on a few other concepts, you know, specifically with the, the church. And so uh, let's pray. And, uh, and we're gonna, I know God's gonna speak to us and encourage us. Lord, we just thank you for Dr. Cloud. We thank you for all that he does for your body. Jesus, give us ears to hear today, Lord. Lord, so that we can receive your word that brings transformation, that brings changes that heal in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, Dr. Cloud. This is what, okay, this is just a, This was all over yesterday, and this is a big, big thing that you have such an understanding on, not only scripturally, but the psychology behind it. And and that is the body. So we're talking about the the church, the body. And actually, our word for this year is coming out of brokenness and stepping into wholeness. So I want to ask you, how does the body become, become whole? Or what would a healing body look like? What would a healing body look like? Probably the best way um, that I know to think about that is look at what he already told us. You know, we, years ago when I started to study organizations and, you know, communities and companies and businesses, and I asked, okay, if, if God were going to build a business, what would his model of leadership look like? And I thought, you know, what? and then it occurred to me, he already built one. God's got a, he's got his own business. He opened up this company <laughs> called the church. And I said, well, how would, how would he make it? How would he lead it? And then I thought, wait a minute, he called it a body. And so 
I took that seriously, and I said, all right, how did he make a body? Because that's what he, how he wants the church to look. And so I started, you know, looking in the, the anatomy and the neurology and the physiology of, of all of this, and it is amazing how, why he chose that metaphor. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Your body, just, just individually, if you want, the goal that you've said is, you know, you want to become... A, a healing body, a community where people thrive. When your body, when you have your, the only difference in, 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 or the big difference in you and a German shepherd, and think about this. Because there's a lot of similarities, food, by the exactly. way. The only difference in, or one of the differences in you and a German shepherd, a German shepherd barks. They just bark, Right. But you've never seen a German shepherd bark and then step back and say, I wonder if that was helpful. <laughs> Maybe, was it loud enough? Was it, did I, bark the right, did I bark the right people? Or I wonder, it, did that, is that going to help me get to where I want to get on Thursday? See, you have the ability, your body has this, this prefrontal cortex that is able, and I want you to think about this in each home out there, in each life, each, each, any part of your life, you have the, the ability to see a desired future state where you're not now. If you're in a family that's got conflict, you can picture, what do I want this family to look like? Do I really want to be throwing skillets at each other at dinner, right? What, what's our vision for our marriage? Or, or if you're single, you know, what's the vision for the community I want to build? So, so my body goes, you know what, Stovall, I, I, I think it would be better. I could talk to you better if, if I were over here, all right? Okay. Now, what, what happened was my brain goes, I think life would be better for a little bit over there. So the brain comes up with that vision. And then it says, all right, let's go. <laughs> See, your brain can't take itself there. The next thing your brain does, it instantly engages the talent that it's going to need to get there. So I'm going to need a couple of legs. I'm going to need some eyes to focus, inner ear to kind of balance me. And it brings that talent around the table, and then it engages it. It motivates it. It sends out to say, hey, come on, we're going over there. And then you go, okay, let's go. Well, how are we going to get there? Am I going to roll? Am I going to jump? And I go, it comes up with a strategy and a plan. Okay, I'm going to walk. And the plan is going to take me about four steps. And it's going to take me a certain amount of time. And it calculates that in the millisecond. Then you venture out, right? Well, let's go. Now what happened? We get off track. It instantly measures, am I doing what I said I was gonna do? And it holds me accountable to that and it gets me back on track. And then we get there. Now if you look at your family or your life or whatever it is, you gotta start with a clear vision. What does the promised land look like? And then you gotta say, okay, around the table or in my, my single you know, uh, group that I'm putting together, I'm gonna call my family. 
what's each person going to do? What do they bring? And you're building a church. You got all the talent out here that you need. That's right. Some of you are organizers. Some of you have the gift of mercy and will be in the small group and, and heal in people's hearts. Some of you will stand up and kind of teach the lesson. Others of you will, you're marketers, you'll go out there and, and drag bodies into this place. But everybody's got a part. There's no person here that does not have a part in this vision. Come on, how about that? All right, there's yes. no person, no person. And then the brain up here. The German shepherd. <laughs> yeah. He barks. See, you've got a leadership team that comes up with a strategy. And what's our strategy going to be? One of them is start having these Shabbats around the, you know, and then each, each parent's got a role and each person's got a role. And then we're going to lay that out over time. And we're going to hold each other accountable. And if you do those things, you go get there. But without, if you miss one of those things, we won't get there. You got to have the vision. You got to have the talent. You got to have a plan. You got to measure it and say, are we doing what we said we we're going to do? And if not, why? And then fix it. You'll get there. So, so I want to ask you about, because you're talking about the concept of follow through, talking about the concept of, of, of demonstration and then when you get to it, like you're saying, okay, you, you start out, but then you realize you're off. Like this morning, I started, my, my vision was to come to the arena. And the, all of a sudden I found myself turning into our Midtown location. And in the fog of losing- You know, Stovall, <laughs> you should not drink in the morning. That's, that's, that's not good, man. I was confused. And uh, so, so instantly, okay, you recognize, okay, this isn't, I'm not going to let me- let me yeah. get back in the in in going where where I need to go. I, I'd like you to talk about the 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 process of um, as people are obeying or the or the action or the the right steps. How how positive that is and good that mm. that is as they're you know yeah. as they're yeah. going on this journey. Yeah. Kind of what it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, probably about six or eight years ago, um, I got asked by the publisher. You know the New Age book, The Secret. I don't, but that's good. <laughs> well, it's this big, big New Age book. You know, Oprah and everybody got behind it, and it's kind of like you oh, know, yeah, 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 yeah. the if you if you tell the universe, you know, of course, nobody ever figured out what the universe's name was. But if you put it out there, the law of attraction is going to bring it. You know, you think about a Rolls Royce it's going to show up in your driveway. And so they called me and said, and, and asked me, you, 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 they said, you know, the secret came from the Bible. I said, I didn't know that. I've never read it, but I didn't know that. And they said, we want you to write the secret to the Christians. So they'll know about this. And I said, well, let me read the book. And I read the book and I said, well, I don't know if this came from the Bible or not, you know, especially that part about we are God. I don't think that's in, in the big book. <laughs> and so I said, but here, here's what I do. You know, you're talking about thriving and all this. I, I'd like to write a book about what I think the Bible's secret is. And so we're talking about thriving. And I went and I spent a, a probably about a year deep in the research of human thriving. Okay. What makes us 
not just get over depression and stuff, but what makes a human thrive? There were a number of um, factors that they, and they, they hold true across the planet, culture, everything. And there's a number of these factors. And when I started studying the empirical research that science has done for the last 15 years on this, I felt like I was reading the Bible. That God had told us each one of these things. Now I'll go into all of them. I wrote a book called The Law of Happiness, and it's in there. But the, one of the most important things of people that are happy and thrive is they have a purpose, but beyond that, happy people have goals that they realize. Now, you're talking about, you know, there's that when you're making progress. We are wired to every time you have a goal and you get committed to that, first of all, there's a drug release in your head with dopamine and a bunch of other stuff. God has wired us for this. And as you start making progress, as you start moving down the road, it changes everything all the way to your like immune system. People that are getting somewhere in life, and I'm not talking about, you know, going to the moon. I'm talking about like getting out of bed, which congratulations to this group today. (laughs) You were made to be fruitful. The parable of talents, everybody in here has got, got a few. But until we dig them up and start to use them, and I don't mean go to the moon, I mean get out of bed. Call a friend and invite them to that dinner. Give the kids a roll. Okay, we're having the Shabbat. Is that what you call it yep. here? It's yep. pretty Jewish, that's good. <laughs> Now, let's pull our talent together. Here's our vision for for the Friday night meal or whenever we're going to do this. And we look around the table. So what's mom going to do? What's dad going to do? What's Susie going to do? What's, you know, I use old-timey names. What do y'all name kids now? (laughs) It's good. Billy Bob, Emma Jean. There we go. Whatever we need to do. We're we're in flight. Bubba. What's Bubba going to (laughs) do? And then Bubba gets excited. And everybody's got a role. And then we have a plan. See, something as simple as that, you start to thrive. And I want you to all think about, if you got a, if you got a vision, I want you to break it down into little bitty steps that you know you can pull off and get everybody involved to do it and your entire life will change. Uh, so good, so good. Yeah. Um, and Dr. Cloud, Talk about, um, I've heard you talk about this before, even like the science behind the body healing itself and how, you know, um, us, us as a people, not as just individuals with a common cause, but as a people, how when we come together and we love one another and we, we pretty much just kind of do the things that the word says, how there's, yeah. there's actually science in that of, of kind of similar to how a human body would heal itself. It's, it's very similar. You know, um, one of my pet peeves are, are these, these Christians that, um, 
they, and, and please understand me, I really, really, really love and am committed to God's word. It's a lamp into our feet, right? And all the, the word has such power. But you have Christians that think it's almost like the Bible is God. You know, it's like, it's like somebody's depressed and they say, well, you just need to get in the word or somebody's got anxiety. We just need to get in the word. Well, here's, here's what the word says and all through it. It's a, but like in Ephesians four, it says the whole body joined and knitted together as each part does its work. It heals itself. All right, now think about your body. If you've got an infected finger, I I talked about this yesterday. If you've got an infected finger, you don't amputate it and stick it in a drawer with a book on anatomy. (laughs) Right? Right, right, right. No, the book on anatomy describes the processes and tells the body, okay, we gotta take that infection and you gotta get it connected to the body and then every part plays a part. So the brain's going to organize the activity. The heart's going to send new oxygenated blood down there. It's going to pull the other blood back up. It's going to take it through a lot of small groups, you know, your liver and your kidney and a bunch of other things, right? And it's going to take the toxins out of there. And your immune system is going to see where it's hurting. And it's going to, this is amazing. What your immune system does, if you take in a bacteria, your immune system immediately sends out something called a marker cell. And it runs out, it sees, translated, it sees one of you that's hurting. Another part of the body sees one of you that's hurting and it goes to you and it names it. And it puts a sign up on that bacteria in that cell that says, this is Ebola, India, 1948. And it gives a genetic code to it. So if I saw you struggling or hurting, I would come over to you as an immune function of the body and say, Stovall, dude, you're not seeming like yourself. Tell me what's going on. And we'd name that. It seems like you're burned out or you're discouraged or whatever. And it names it. And the reason it names it is so the other cells can come around and contain it and say, we're not going to let this get worse. Come on, that is so good. We're not going to let this get worse. And then, then it dials 911, and it calls, again, the talent, whatever else, what chemicals do we need to send to this? You know, what help do we need to send it? And the body heals itself. Now, I have seen everything from from the worst depression where people can't function, PTSD, anxiety states, the worst addictions that there are, mood disorders, everything, you know, all the way to the life stuff like I'm talented, but I can't reach a goal. I've got dreams, but they're, they're fantasies, really, because the chances of me ever feeling like I could get there... I've seen every one of those healed a thousand times, but I've never seen one healed by the ache isolating itself and not having the body come and help it ever, 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 ever. And I'll tell you, when I was in college, I got really, really depressed and I hit the pavement and nothing was working. And one day I was in my dorm room and I was, you know, pretty far from God. I think I'd still 
kind of knew his address and he apparently knew where I was. But I was sitting there worried about life. And I'm sitting there obsessing about how do you make a relationship work? Just had broken up my girlfriend. My, I, I'd gone there to play golf and I had an injury and didn't play well and, and, and couldn't play. The pain was so bad I had to quit. And, and what was I going to major in? And, what, and I'm sitting there in my dorm room thinking about all these things. And I looked up in, in my Bible kind of went like that you know and I hadn't read it since I had been in college and I walked over there I pulled it out and opened it up and this verse I wasn't looking for I didn't even know where the verses were right so I opened it up and this verse kind of looked at me and it said seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you did you know that was Okay, that's another story. I don't want to get you off. That's what God spoke to me when I was, that's our church mission scripture. Really? Yeah, that's what he spoke to me when I was trying to seek him and figure him out and all that. Brother from a different Come on, right here. Huh? Man, I haven't heard this. Okay, go on. They've heard enough of me. So I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, really? All these things, you know. A relationship and, and I'm so depressed I can't get out of bed and how do I find a career and I suck at everything how will I ever get a job and but God will really I said all right well I'll try that and so I thought well you can't do this in a dorm room so I walked across campus it was a cold Sunday afternoon I walked across campus. I wandered into this little chapel there on, on the SMU campus. And I went down to the altar. And I said, God, I don't know if you're there. I really, I don't know if you're there. That sounded like Bill Clinton. I don't know if you're there. <laughs> I said, I, 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 I don't know if you're there or not, but I, I need help. And if you're there, I'll, I'll do whatever you tell me. And I felt like I had, for the first time, I always believed in God, but for the first time, I kind of like jumped out of the plane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I knew I had taken a real step. And if that chute didn't open, I don't know. I didn't know. What do you do then? Because yeah, yeah. everybody's kind of got God in the, in the, you know, someday maybe if I need him. But I had literally... I was at the end, and I jumped out of the plane, and nothing happened. I'll never forget that moment. It was the loneliest, worst moment I think I've ever felt. I made this step, and it was silence. And I, you know, I'd watch TV. People get zapped when they go to the altar. Nothing happened. I didn't get zapped. And so I'm sitting there, and just like, you know, call me. And I went back to my dorm room, and the phone rang. And it was a fraternity brother of mine, and he said, I don't know why I'm thinking of you. You're the last person I would think of to invite to this, but we're starting a Bible study at the fraternity. Hey, hey. Hey. The Lord hears the cries of your heart. That's right. That's right. Wow, okay, keep going. And so I go, I guess I better go to this. 
So I go and, and, I, and I got to know the leader and uh, he was from Dallas Seminary. He was doing some work on campus there. And so I'm, and I, I said, well, I, I've been depressed. You know, I wouldn't have lunch. I've been depressed and I can't. And I said, I've been asking God and God's not helping me. And, and, and I'll never forget this. He says, well, you know, God uses people too. I said, well, that's a bailout. <laughs> you know, that's like the cheap seats. I want the zapping down there at the front row, right? God, heal me, God. Yes. And I thought, well, that's kind of plan B, if plan A. And, and so he says, I want you to come to the group. And he comes to the group and he starts doing some individual, you know, discipleship with me. And then he gets me hooked up with a really good counselor. And then he starts to, you know, say, look, you get, you know, I want you to get involved and do some serving here at the, and, and, and kind of like just get, introduces me to people. And this group was a group where we processed life and I had to grieve all the stuff I was going through and, and they confronted me and told me I was an idiot in a lot of ways. And, 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 and they loved me and I go, so I'm in this body, right? And now my spiritual life is really, really coming alive. I'll never forget this. A, about a year later, I woke up one morning and I'm in my bed and I woke up and I said, I'm not depressed anymore. Wow. I couldn't function a year ago. God, this life, and it was so full in so many ways. And then I had this thought, but God, I wish you had done it. <laughs> and then he leads me to this scripture, Ephesians 4. And it says, connected to the whole body, all its joints and sinews connected together, the body heals itself as each part does its work. And I realized that was God's plan A all along. Yes. Now that it says connected to the head and the head is organizing all this. And when, when, you're, when you're encouraging somebody, First Peter 4 says you are speaking the very words of God to them out of your mouth. Okay. You, if you, some of you that know your Bible, God spoke through an ass one time. Remember that? Balaam, the, the, the donkey. So I don't care if you're a donkey. Or a German shepherd. Or a German shepherd. Exactly. God can use you to heal somebody. And so that's how it works. Do you know, do you know if, 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 I'm, if I'm depressed because there's some hurt inside that I've never dealt with and, and I don't even know that and I start talking to Stovall, when he looks me in the eye, okay? When he looks me in the eye and starts to, to care that look right there, mirror neurons and all this other stuff, neurologically what it does, it begins to open the door to that pain that's stuck on, in one side of the brain in the limbic system and all of that. And it starts to connect it with language and it starts to melt it. And then it starts to move, it's like Drano. And then when he starts to you know, ask me a few questions, the proverb says a, a person's heart's deep waters and the wise person draws them out. And I start to talk about it. And then I break down and I start sobbing and he's seeing me. 
The Bible says, weep with those who weep. That process neurologically moves pain through the system and it turns from depression to grief to resolution. Okay? One little verse. And I'm going to tell you, can I say one thing about this? No, I was going to Okay. There, ask yourself this question. Why did God put your tear ducts in your eyes? Now you think about this. He could have put them anywhere he wanted. He could have put them under your arm and you could get some tear odorant, <laughs> anti-tear, right, which we use. <laughs> we do use a lot of anti-tear odorant, you know, substances and a bunch of other stuff. No, he put them here because your pain should be seen by another person. And when it is, the body begins to heal itself. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Okay. Turn to the person next to you, look at me in the eye and say, show me your pain, baby. <laughs> Somebody said, go look in the mirror. <laughs> you are my pain. <laughs> so, so this, I know you, you talked about this, this yesterday, but it's just, I just, just say it again because it's so important. It's, it's, it's so essential and it's so misunderstood in a lot of Christian circles teaching. And that is the process of when, the process of grieving, the process of suffering well, the process yes. of when pain, how to processing pain in a healthy way and how that, that can't be, there, there's not a shortcut to that. There's not a, you know, how important yeah. that is to our soul. There is a shortcut to avoiding pain, but it's the longest route. Wow. Every time you take a shortcut, it will be the longest route. We can avoid pain for a minute. And then you avoid it for another minute. Then you go, you know, drink another six pack or go have another sexual acting out experience to numb that pain. But it will be the longest route. Okay, there's, there's basically two kinds of pain in one way. There's pain that needs healing. So there's pain we want to resolve, right? So if you've been abused or you have fears or anxieties or, you know, um, PTSD or, you know, losses or that pain needs to be healed. And what, when we're healing pain, what we're doing is we're restoring you to a normal state. So if you've lost somebody, and you're depressed, that pain has got to be healed. And what that does is it returns you to normal. That's one kind of pain. There's another kind of pain that takes you to the next level. And that's the pain, the suffering, that's involved in the discipline of building muscle. That's the pain that's involved in doing something hard you've never done before. The Bible says all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. But in the end, it yields a peaceful future righteousness. Peaceful future, it makes you better. And, you know, some of you, like in your marriage, you want to get to the next level, but it's going to be scary to sit down before a counselor and open up. Some of you, you want to take your career to the next level. I remember a lady, 
she was going through the empty nest thing and she, she never had really worked and she was really smart and she always had this vision to be in the certain kind of business. And she goes, but I can't, you know, I'm, I'm too old now. And I said, she, she thought she was stupid. She had like a 300 IQ and listened to the voices in her head. You'll never be anything and all this. And I said, all right, I want you to take a step. I told her to pick up the phone off. She had to, I said, call the community college and order a brochure. Her hand was shaking. Take the first step. She said, well, they're not going to send me one because they're going to find out I'm 40 years old. I said, call them. She called them. She got the brochure. I want you to apply. Each step, there was so much pain in the suffering of taking those risks and taking that step, now she owns a, and operates a really significant business in that field. Okay. Here's the deal. You can cry now or you can cry later. I was talking to a woman who um, is in a bad uh, relationship. She's been dating this guy and, you know, the scenario is like he's great until he's not. And then you address that and then he's great until he's not and, and he just he's not the right one she's unequally yoked and I said look <laughs> you can cry now because you've lost him because you're going to send him down the road and give him an invitation to inflict this pain on somebody else you can cry now because you've lost him or you can cry later because you've got him There is no life without suffering, but the best thing we can do is to choose what suffering we're going to have. You're going to have the suffering of growth. Come on. Yes. Or the suffering of putting off growth. You know, I, I, I do this with uh, ministry leaders sometimes. I say, okay, if you guys want to want to help people like avoid or get over sin, then what do you tell them to do? What's your advice? And you get all the, all the Christian answers, which there's truth that, you know, they got to pray and get in the word and they got to, you know, I said, well, let me give you the one the Bible says. It says this in first Peter, it says, arm yourselves, protect yourselves with this attitude that was in Christ Jesus purpose to suffer. Arm yourselves with the purpose I'm going to on purpose go suffer. And because, and here's what it says, because the one who suffers is done with sin. Wow, that's great. All right, now let's just take a simple example. Take an addict. You want to get over this addiction. Okay, when they purpose to suffer, because I'm going to tell you, you, you know, when an addict goes into recovery, there's some suffering. They got to do a moral inventory. They got to go make amends with people. They got to surrender their life. They got to learn some new skills. That's, a, that's work, all right? But then when they go through it, they're done with that addiction. But if you avoid the suffering... And as Solomon said, don't go into the house of pleasure, go into the house of grief. If they avoid the suffering, 
by trying to stay out of pain, that addiction can last 50, 60, 70 years. So we're going to suffer, but gold medal Olympians choose their suffering. Remember, I I saw a a swimmer, a woman, a gold medal um, Olympian being interviewed, and and the, the, the interviewer goes, How did she? And, and the woman says, oh, I just love swimming. It's always been my passion. And, and, and the, the interviewer goes, well, so you just always love it? And she says, I love swimming, but I hate two things. I hate early mornings and I hate cold water. <laughs> and she said, but I realized if I'm going to be able to swim at the levels I want to swim at, yeah. I got to get up early and get in a cold pool. Yeah. That's what it's about. Yeah. And, and, and real quick, just elaborate on that, the, the scripture, you know, um, you're going, someone's in pain. They're either going to go to the house of pleasure yeah. or they're going to go to the house of, of okay. grieving where grieving is actually where the healing yeah. begins, but they're going to go one place or the other. You, there's, right. yeah. You, you know, pain, pain is a signal, right? It's an activating system. God has built pain. Uh, pe- people that don't have the experience, the ability to experience pain, you know, neurologically, their limbs fall off eventually because they get infected and all that kind of stuff. So, so pain is, is such a gift. In it's Ecclesiastes 7, and, and this was... Think of when Solomon wrote this, God wrote this through Solomon. Thousands of years ago, before, before psychology discovered that when you have unresolved stuff inside, and if we don't process that, that pain, then it's not gonna get better, it gets worse, but not only that, that the processing of it heals it. Ecclesiastes 7, Solomon says this, it's better to go into the house of pain, the house of mourning, the house of grief, than the house of pleasure. Because, and this is an amazing verse, because a sad face can make a heart happy. That's the process of getting it out. And you cry it out, and then you start to feel like you're on the other side of it. But if you're going to the house of pleasure to avoid the pain, then we're just putting it down the calendar. And by the way, it's not stagnant, it grows. The worst thing anybody ever said, well, gosh, there's so many bad things people say. (laughs) I don't know how you rank these. Well, you know, time heals all things. What a crock. That's right, yeah. (laughs) Tell that to an abscessed tooth. (laughs) Well, let's give it a year. (laughs) You'll feel better. Go eat some more candy. Time is involved in all healing, unless God does a creative miracle. It's time's involved in all healing, but it's time. Time is involved in getting over a bacterial infection. The doctor's gonna say, it's gonna take about seven days, but I'm gonna write you a prescription. And there's other ingredients plus the time. So you got the grace, you got the love, you got the support, but you got the truth. You got to face things and learn new skills and all that. And if you take that pill over seven days, three times a day, and add the time in there, you're going to get well. But here's what we do. Nobody goes to a doctor. You know, the doctor writes you a prescription. 
Nobody goes to a doctor and eats the prescription. You go get the prescription filled and you take the medicine. God has written us the prescription. But we can't. The Bible says don't be hearers. Don't be hearers of the word only, but doers of the word. Yes. He says the truth shall set you free, right? Or read the verse right before it. He says, because you never hear this. People say the truth will set you free. I got to read this verse and I'll be free. It says, if you hold to my teachings and walk in my ways, then you will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Come on. We got to do it. We got to do it. Yes. Dr. Cloud, so just a couple more quick things. Okay, so we've all, we, we all either have people now or... They might even be sitting in the audience, loved ones, or maybe it's in a person's business and, and the people that he works with, people that um, they, they have unsafe behavior and people are trying to bring that to their attention because they lo- love them, but then they, they just, they don't see it and their behavior um, is making things unsafe for that person, whether you know it's a spouse or or even in a business relationship or a friendship or or whatever that is, and you know they they just can't see it, can't see it, can't see it. They won't come to that place of openness like you're talking about. Could you give some practical advice to to, to people? Kind of, I know it's all in your boundaries. It's in the boundaries book, but just kind of one of those things on boundaries. Well, it's, it's also specifically if if you're really if you're involved deeply in some relationship with a person that you've talked to about the problem and they're not changing, I would really suggest my book, Necessary Endings. I'm sorry, Necessary Endings. Yes, because great. Because it, 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 it gets very specific of when, do you, when can you have hope that somebody's going to change and when is, that's not really hope, that's just a wish. And there are very specific ingredients that we can say, look, somebody's not changing, but if these things are present and they'll agree to do these things, we can have all the hope in the world. But if they're not listening, the Bible puts that into a category called the fool or the mocker. And the definition of a fool is not somebody with a low IQ. They're typically the smartest, smartest people around. But you tell them the truth and they have very predictable responses. They get defensive. They shoot the messenger. <laughs> you become the problem. Well, you know, when you did this, well, that's because you, okay? It says, do not confront a mocker lest you incur insults upon yourself. It says, do not confront a fool. They will hate you for it. So with wise people, people that listen, like Matthew 18 says, you talk to them, they go, gosh, I'm sorry, and they change. Of course we talk to each other about problems. And if somebody's listening, then it makes sense to talk to them. But sometimes there's a pattern of not listening. You know, your, your addiction is hurting the family or your anger is destroying the kids or your, your lack of performance is holding the team back or whatever it is. And you said it and said it and said it. Stop saying it. That's, the Bible is very clear about that. It says move from there to containing it and you move from telling them to having limits and consequences. And you can say you can choose to to continue to get drunk every night, but I'm going to live in a sober environment. So if you're, you can go into treatment and you're welcome here, or you can choose to continue to drink, but I can't live with you while you're still on heroin, right? Or whoever's going to sit in that chair on this team, 
is going to, you know, perform at certain levels and turn their work in and this, that, and the other. And I really hope that's you that gets to sit in that chair. But whoever's sitting in that chair, that's what's required by the chair. Now, if you don't want to do these things, then there's other chairs in other companies. You can go help them be successful. But you move from talking to setting limits with, I'm not going to participate and enable this or put up with this anymore. And there are consequences. And that's a clear teaching throughout the Bible. And we get confused with being patient and loving and long-suffering. Listen, long-suffering is what happens when somebody repents and we join them and it's a long-suffering process to help somebody. But long-suffering does not begin until the person joins the process. The suffering you're doing before that is abuse. That's not long-suffering. That's not patience, that's denial. Patience is I'm gonna work with you and you're going and you're working hard and I'm gonna be patient and I know this is gonna take a while and we're gonna have relapses and we're gonna have problems and we're gonna fall off the cliff and all that. But I'm gonna be patient with that because you're in the program and you're headed in the right direction. But don't be patient with cancer. You limit it, you radiate it, you contain it. That's good, so and good. Go to Matthew 18. Yeah. Start at verse 15. Go to the person you talk to them. If they listen, they're wise, said you've won over your brother. The lowest level immune function has worked. Your saliva killed the bug. But if they make it past the saliva, some bacteria are strong enough to go past the saliva. Then we got to get the stomach acid will attack them. It says get two or three or more of you together and go talk to this person. You know, we've all seen this. We love you. It's affecting all of our relationships with you. We want it to be better. And then that level of immune function will take care of it. But some, some are strong enough and the, the bacteria is strong. It gets past that. Then we have a real immune response. And it says bring a group together. Modern people call that an intervention. And then you, you really say we can't have this happen and you got to hear this or, or, you know, or we got to go to the next level. And that's where we have to separate from you. Now, notice this. And you hear this in churches all the time. I bind this and I bind that. And certainly, you know, I believe in, in, in dealing with spiritual forces. But the word binding is in that context. It's the work of the body in containing dysfunction. It says in verse 18 or 19, wherever it is there, it says after, you know, you talk to them, then you, a couple of people talk to them, and then more people, and then finally, here's what it says. For whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in the heavens. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in the, you loose this addiction, it's going to move through your family tree like a cancer. You bind it. You stop the chain. And that's a body function. He's, body. He says it to us. Whatever you bind shall be bound. That's our responsibility. So, so give Dr. Cloud a hand for that. That's so watch. Well, give God a hand. I mean, he, he, I'm just a messenger. So, so do you see how we, our behavior all affects one another. We're his body. We, we, we image and demonstrate him. Okay, last, 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 last thing. My church, the church knows that I have three closings. This is the third. 
and, and final close. Just we're going to bind that behavior. Yes, right? we're going to. They've they've been enabling, and so well, we're all so, sleepy yeah. this morning, so it's all, right. it's all right. By the way, this is the spiritual group. This first oh, yes, service, absolutely. especially this week. Yes, you made it in there an hour ahead. And they drove to the building on their first attempt, unlike their pastor. Who... <laughs> so, 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 just um, last thing, just, just the family and coming to the table, how we've been doing oh. uh, these family dinner parties with, with, with Shabbat and, and friends. Just the, the, the psychology behind that. I know, you know, it talks about how society's falling apart because, you know, Families can't get around the table and put up their phones and right. actually talk uh, anymore. I mean, you've read the research. One of the most uh, preventative interventions that you can do with your kids against drugs and, and sex and, and all that stuff is eat dinner with them. Wow, that's hard. <laughs> that's cheaper than a treatment program. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And... and we, um, one of the things that, that, that we've always done in family dinners, two, two things, well, there's a bunch of things, but one of them is, please, like, put the phones in a basket. Yes, 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 and yes. Come on. If you're not an ER doctor or a neurosurgeon, you can go an hour without taking a phone call, all right? Or finding out what the Kardashians are wearing that day. You got to make a, you have to make a zone where this can happen, right? But one of the things that, that we've always done in, in our family dinners is we sit down, we, we, we've done this with the kids since they were little, and we have roses and thorns. And everybody has to go around and you tell your rose of the day and your thorn of the day. The rose is, what's the best thing that happened today? What was your happiest moment? And the thorn was, what's the hardest thing that happened today? And that way, we get to celebrate each other's wins, but we also get to enter into the pain. The other thing that's happening, and this is why I did it as a psychologist, I, <laughs> my kids just would, if they could get in line for a father in any other profession, they would do it. <laughs> They're always like, oh, here comes the life lesson. You know, they roll their eyes. But as a psychologist, because it's, it's hard being a parent, a psychologist, you know, they don't eat their broccoli. You see nine marriages in prison in their future, you know, <laughs> so you worry about this stuff. But, but uh, one of the reasons that, that I did the roses and thorns is I wanted to integrate their brains from an early age that life is about good things and bad things happening and we have to deal with both. And I didn't want them to be surprised by life that's going to bring them, even in the same day, a victory and a loss. Because if you can equip them in that way, see, that's, that's what happens around the table. And what you're doing in that Shabbat is you're doing a number of things. Deuteronomy 6 says, you know, in the future, when... Um, When your children ask you, what's the meaning of all this church stuff? What's the meaning of all this Bible stuff? Moses says, tell them this. We were slaves in Egypt and God brought us out with a mighty hand. Yes, and yes. you share your story of, I, didn't have, I don't have it all together. I was struggling in this area. I turned to God. He brought me out of Egypt. Yes. 
And then he gave us these ways, it says, and tell them that he gave us these ways that if we would walk in these ways, then it would go well with us and we would always prosper. So the reason we do all this church stuff is I'd be in the gutter if I didn't. And we learn this, you know, you know, you'd say to your kid, God says that you've got talent. Forget America's got talent. You know, the world has talent. God put it, and, and he, he, you know, when you fail, it's all right. We, you know, let's talk about forgiveness. And we learn these ways, and, and it says right there, put them on your forehead, put them on your chest, put them on the door. As you're walking through life, talk about them. And that's what this Shabbat is. It's an experience that's commanded in the Old Testament in terms of these processes or commanded Shabbat's a tradition of a way to do that. But what you're doing is you're integrating the life of God apart from Sunday school or church. You're making it about life. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you my, you know, I've got three closings too, I'll, but I'll end with this. I'll never forget this. I'll never forget this. Lucy our younger one, I've got a, they're 16 and 18 now, but, but when she was about five, we're, we're walking through the yard or something and, and us, you know, we're looking at this flower and I go, I go, it's amazing how God did that. And I, and she turns to me and she goes, dad, why do you always talk about God? And I could tell it wasn't like rising up and calling me blessed. It, it was kind of bugging her. <laughs> so I, know the I said, um, well, I don't know, Liz. I always, I always think about God. I said, why? Does it bug you? She goes, yeah, kind of, sometimes. <laughs> and then she gets this look on her face. She goes, but I kind of like it too. I know the feeling. And so I realized, okay, it's my job to stop doing it in ways that bug her. Okay. But because it bugs her, doesn't mean I'm going to stop doing it because God's have put eternity in her heart. There's part in her that likes it, right? So as a parent, your job is to decrease the pain that you're causing and increase the pain that will make them grow. But you got to do it without turning them off. And I'll, I'll, never, I'll never forget when she said, but I kind of like it too. I kind of, something happened in that moment where I realized I'm going to do some of this and they're not going to want to come to Shabbat. They're not going to do it roses and thorns. But deep down inside, there's some part of them that likes that. And if they don't like it, tough because they're going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> and when they're old, the Bible says they will return to it. There you go. Y'all give it up for Dr. Cloud, everybody. Wasn't that wonderful? Tell, tell them boundaries. Yeah, go, go to the web and, and, and go to boundaries.me. And it's a little program. It'll, I think it costs like about as much as a cup of coffee. Um, but I become your boundaries coach throughout the month. With each month, you know, little little coaching tips and videos and stuff. So uh, check it out. Awesome. Thank Dr. Cloud one more time. It's just such a dear friend. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.